0: Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome uh, to Breakfast and the Class. Uh, Breakfast and the Class today are dedicated in loving memory of Rachel Shami, Alea Shalom, Leilun Nishmat Rachel Bat Mazal, sponsored by Moises Shami. Uh, Breakfast and the Class are also dedicated in loving memory of Mayor Mike Mahana, Aleh Shalom, Leilun Nishmat Mayor Ben Behir, sponsored by Francis and Marco Palacci. Uh, as well, in loving memory of Mayor's mother, Rivka Cohen, Shalom Rivka Bat Morvari, sponsored by Glory and Meir Cohen. And uh, breakfast is also dedicated, in loving memory of Raymonde and David Sofer, David Moshe Ben and Simcha Bat'Chana, sponsored by their son, Edward Sofer, Tinish Nishmatem Surah Haim. Chaim. As well, unfortunately, we have the news this morning. Uh, the class is also dedicated in, in loving memory of Braha, Polet, Bat, Rachel, Baruch Tayane Matats, Surah and the family should uh, only feel Nechama in the difficult time uh, ahead. Uh, Rabbotai, we have a very beautiful um, idea here that I'd like to share uh, with all of you today. The name of the parasha is the word Tiruma, which means uh, a donation. Sometimes you find a word that's so beautiful in the Hebrew language, in Lashon HaKodesh, and then kind of when it kind of crosses over the English channel, I like to call it, it gets across to the other side and it gets its English name. It's like, wow, 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 You know that kind of thing, you know? It's like in Hebrew, it's Tirumah, and it's English, it's donation. Tirumah means something, what does it mean? Lehitromem. Tirumah means something which elevates. Donation, what's a donation? The only thing I can think of is donut, but that probably is because I'm doing intermittent fasting. The point is, the donate that has nothing, it doesn't, there's no substance to it. Tirumah means that the donation itself elevates the person. And the pasuk, as, uh, as we all know, mentions very, very famously, V'yikchuli tirumah means that you should take for me tirumah. And all the mifarshim asks, what does it mean, V'yikchuli, you should take for me a donation? It should say that they should give a donation. And uh, the uh, famous refrain from Chazal teaches us that indeed when a person gives a tirumah, instead of giving, they think maybe perhaps that they are giving, but in actual fact, they are taking. Both in the next world, Rabbi when a person receives the reward for what it is that they gave, but also uh, deeply, powerfully in this world as well. There was a a beautiful story that illustrated this point that happened only a couple of years ago in in, in Israel. There was a high-tech company a very, very successful high-tech company that was looking for an uh, executive assistant, someone to, uh, be, uh, to work with the owner of the company. They had a lot of responsibility. It was a very well-paying job, especially uh, uh, for Israel. And uh, there were many, many, many applications. And uh, with all the application that poured in, two women turned up for the job. Uh, not the two women that are sitting here. If apparently, we got a heads up that Nechama and Lauren have come, uh, especially to hear the class from my dear friend, Rabbi Simon Taylor. Uh, some of, as one of them, is even from very far away, that you come to listen to Torah here in the, uh, in the morning. We've got a few calls recently asking to come to the morning class, and one time it will be. So if anyone wants to come for a morning class and a little breakfast, they are, of course, also welcome to do so. Ha-baot. Two young women come in to take the job. One woman is a, uh, the wife of a kollel guy with six kids at home. They're both sitting there. And the other one is a single girl and they get to talking while they're waiting in the waiting room. Uh, what, what, are you, what are you doing? What are you doing? La, la, la. How many kids? Oh, I'm single. I have six kids. Back and forth. Oh, talking to each other. You know, you need the job. What do you need the job? Well, my husband sits and learns. He wants to become a big rabbi. I want to support him. You know, I'm so excited. I'm, you know, I'm really glad I'm here, you know, in the semifinals for the, for the job. Da, 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 da. They have the whole conversation. She goes in. Anyway, she has the interview. And uh, at the end of the interview, they say to her, you know, thank you very much. It was a really good interview. We're actually quite impressed with you. Uh, we'll give you a call if, uh, if we want to take you for the job. She says, thank you so much, I uh, really appreciate it, The job is very important to me. Okay, she leaves. They call on the second lady, this uh, young woman, and she goes, she, again, she does the interview. She does very well in the interview. Very, both very clever, both very able. And the man says to her at the end of the interview, he says, thank you so much for coming in. He says, if you want, the job is yours, you could start at eight o'clock. We're very impressed with you. We're impressed with the, with the, with the answers you gave, with your qualifications. We also, you're someone who's the type of person that we're looking for, da-da-da-da. And she says, right before, she, she hesitates, and she says, you know what? Actually, she says, I'd rather, I'd rather not take the job. And the guy says, you went all through all the rounds of the interviews, the resume, this, that. You took the interview, now you're telling us you don't want to take the job? She says, I'll tell you the truth. I was sitting out there with this other woman. She seems very clever, she seems very able, a- and, and she needs the job more than me. I'm sure I'll find something else, and if not, what's the big deal? What are my expenses already? I'm living at home. You know what? I'd rather, please give the job to that. She's the other finalist. Obviously, she made it here. And the guy says, no, we'd rather you. You're much more qualified. And besides, you know, you know, she already has a bunch of kids. You know, you're someone that we know. If something came up late at night or whatever, you'd be able to stay. You wouldn't have to arrange babysitting or whatever. It's, it's much better for us if you... She says, thank you so much. This is my... Uh, this is my final answer. I hope, uh, I'd rather you give the job to her. Anyway, she leaves. She goes home. Sounds like the end of the story, but all of us here, we all know, this can't be the end of the story. A couple of days later, she gets a phone call, this young single uh, lady, and the phone call is from the wife of the owner of the company. And she says, listen, uh, I just want to tell you, um, my husband came home, he couldn't stop talking about how selfless you are, the kind of midot that you have, the fact that you, the job was yours, you were qualified for it, they wanted you and you gave it up because someone else needed the money more. And you know what, he kept talking about it until eventually I started to think to myself, you know, maybe this is Hashem's way uh, of sending me a message. And the woman says, sending you a message that what? She says, well, we have a son Who's learning in yeshiva? He's off the charts, bright, wonderful midot, fantastic everything. Literally, you couldn't ask for a better person, you know. And we've tried to find someone for him, and we haven't found someone that's standout. I haven't had my husband be as excited about any of the shidduch prospects for our child as he was about his executive assistant. So I said, you know what? Maybe this is, would you agree to go out with my son? They went out, within a few weeks they were uh, in love and decided that they wanted to uh, seal the deal. Uh, six to eight months later they were married and the girl who turned down being executive assistant in this company because of an act of chesed, an act of giving, an act of tirumah, of elevation, became effectively the wife of the owner of the company. That's what it means, so all of us, I'm sure everyone here knows this, we don't need a story, we don't need an example, we all understand the benefits of giving to others. We all understand the boomerang of venatenu, which reads both ways that you give and you get, and the same letters exactly forward and backward, you give, you get, we all know that. That's not the chidush. Rabu'tai, the chidush for me is actually in another place. I want to talk about the hitromemut the elevation of tzedakah, of chesed, of giving, that happens. And as well, the challenge of it. Many of us are aware of the idea that when a person is given their name at their brit milah or at the Sefer Torah, if it's a baby girl, we are aware of the idea that our rabbis communicate to us that a father is given a nitznutz, a spark of nevuah, of prophecy in that moment, to name their child when they give them their Hebrew name, to name their child prophetically. Something which befits the essence, the nature, the destiny of that child. So whatever name they choose at the Brit Mila, whatever name they choose at the Sefer Torah, that name indicates the direction, the path, uh, the trajectory of this particular soul in its sojourning on earth. Now that's not only on a positive level, rather the person's positive uh, propelling factors in their their plus column are also always going to be the element which is their defining characteristic that they need to fight against in their negative column. So I'll give you an example, I always say this as a joke, it's a joke, calm down. My parents name is Shilomo, Shilomo means perfect, how did they know? They just met me. You understand? Now that idea, Shilomo, the fact that it it encompasses peace and perfection, right? What is the enemy of perfection? What is the negative side of a person who's perfect? Perfectionism. The person thinks that they're perfect. The person believes that they have nothing to learn from anybody else. So it is the very advantage of perfection that can cause a person to fall, to be destroyed, to ruin marriages, right? Because the person's perfect. I don't need to change. So the same Shilomo that could build the Beit HaMikdash and could bring HaKadosh Baruch presence on earth, that's what happens when you're Melech Shilomo, you're the king over perfection. What happens when you become the enemy, the Eved of perfection? That's the opposite. And in fact, we find this idea that Shilomo HaMelech Al-Chachamim explained to us had to lose his place on the throne, cast aside by Ashmedai to the point where he became a nobody. The same concept appears in both sides. Shilomo HaMelech's only sins, our chachamim say, are when he does what? When he does what? When he says, I'm going to have many wives. And even though they're worried in the Torah that those wives will lead you to sin, I'm going to have the wives and I'm not going to sin. And it doesn't go right. I'm gonna have the money, I'm gonna have the horses, and it doesn't go right. He thinks he's perfect enough that he's capable of having that, of having the cake and eating it too. So Rabbi this concept, the hitromimut, the elevation, every single positive thing on this earth has within it, like they say in physics, an equal and opposite reaction. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Our chachamim tell us that that's what the pasuk means when it says zele umadze. This, uh, in in opposition to this, bara otam hakadosh baruch Hu created the world. What does it mean zele umadze? Wherever there is great opportunity for uh, for elevation, for holiness, in that place there is an opportunity for uh, for the opposite, for impurity. It has to be so. Why? to create the balance of this world, to create the balance of free will, to create the opportunity for choice. Anything that is incredibly positive has to also have along with it the opportunity for incredible negativity. Now, being and seeing, as that is the case, what is the incredible negativity that comes along with the concept of hithromimut, of giving? And I think that some of you are already figuring out this idea, Romemut can mean elevation, or it can mean an inflated sense of self, where you're looking down upon somebody else. Lehitromem can be to elevate yourself objectively, or can mean to elevate yourself subjectively. Sometimes the great danger in Siddhaka is the trap of kavod. And I want to share with you a frightening Gemara. The Gemara says that um, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was traveling through the streets of Jerusalem. And as he's moving through the streets of Jerusalem, he comes across a young woman. And he says to this young woman, what are you doing? He sees her leaning on the ground and she's picking out of the tzo'ah of the chamorim, of the feces of donkeys. She's picking out the undigested, Grains of barley. Barley is a thicker, more coarse grain. So sometimes the stomach of the donkey wouldn't be able to break it down. So this woman in the destruction of Jerusalem, the hunger was so severe that she's literate, but we'd seen it all, but we'd never seen that, okay? So Rebbe Yochanan ben Zakkai says, Who are you? How does this happen? How did we get to such a place? And the girl turns around and she says to him while she's picking out these, these pieces of barley to go take them home, to wash them off, to make food to eat. She says, I am the daughter of Nakdimon Ben-Gurion. Nakdimon Ben-Gurion was the wealthiest Jew. Was th- one of the top three wealthy Jews uh, that the, the, the uh, Jewish people had at the time of the destruction. The three were Ben Kalba Savoa, uh, Nakdimon Ben-Gurion, and Ben Tzitzit Kesset. Each one of them had examples of super extreme wealth that we read about them, okay? And that was the reason why they were named the names that they were named. Ben tzitzit keset. the Gemara says two reasons. He would walk on the streets and he would dra- his tzitzit would drag behind them on the floor and they would roll out in front of him carpets so his tzitzit should never touch the floor. That's how wealthy he was. Another opinion says, Shaitaki kisao mutelet ben gedodeh that his chair... Was, was amongst the most uh, powerful people in Rome, and the Romans said it. Uh, nakdi, uh, sorry, Ben Kalba Savoah, all the poor of Israel would come to his house starving like a dog, and they would leave the house full because he fed everybody to that degree of satiation. Nakdimon Ben Gurion, because once he made a donation, the Jewish people were dying of thirst in a terrible drought. He bought from a Roman protectorate. He bought wells full, cisterns full of water. And the condition was that in 30 days, if he could not pay the water back, he would fill those wells that he'd filled with water from this Roman Janet, from this Roman governor. He would fill them with gold and silver. Thirty days go by and the sun is almost set. And the governor says, send the people to Nakdimon, tell them to pay up. Fortune of money. Nakdimon says it's not sunset yet. The sun is still at the edge of the sky. It's not the 30th day. He goes outside, raises his hands to the heavens, and he says, It is known to you, God in heaven, that I did not do this for my own kavod, and I did not do this for the kavod of my father. This was not for my own kavod, not for the kavod of my father. I did it for your children who needed water to drink. Please, he says, it's almost the 30th day, help me. The sky is all of a sudden became overcast, it starts pouring with rain, within minutes all the wells are full. Nakdimon Ben-Gurion tells the Roman governor, there you go, Hazaku Baruch, Misha The Roman governor says, look at the sky, it's full of clouds, it's dark, he says it's already nightfall, I don't care that there's water, now you have to fill them up anyway. It's already the 30th day. Nakdimon Ben-Gurion's like, he again raises his head to the heavens. He says, show him it's not yet night. The clouds disperse. The, he- the sun, which had either set or was ready to, ready to set, was held up in the sky. And the Gemara says, they changed his name to Nakdimon ben Gurion. Ba'avuro, Because the sun stayed up for him. Does it mean that God rewound the sun? Does it mean that God cleared the skies so that you could see the sun? However you understand it. But look at that interaction. So this is the son, this is the daughter of this man, of Nagnimon Mengurion. So he says to her, I don't understand. How could it be? Rabbi Yochanan Menzakai is asking the daughter, how could it be that the daughter of someone who gave so much tzedakah should be in such a terrible economic state? How could it be that that's the reward? It doesn't make sense. And she answers him two answers. One answer we'll discuss at a later date. But the answer for today's class, the to Gemara's first answer, she says, and again, I'm gonna quote this to you. She answers him back. Mm-hmm. He did tzedakah, ava luasah He did it for his own honor. <laughs> first of all, the, the story that gave him his name, has him ask God, don't you know that this is not for my kavod and not for the kavod of my family? And God acquiesced. That means that it wasn't kavod. Not only that, the Gemara says that he would walk to the Bet knesset and from the Bet knesset from his house to the Bet was, I don't know, 300 yards every day he would walk, they would come, when he would be ready to go to the synagogue, they would come and bring these expensive Persian carpets, yes, and he would walk on the carpets the 300 yards to the shul and he would leave the carpets there and they would take each carpet, the poor of the city, and they would sell it in the shuk for hundreds of shekel, every one of them, that's how they made their living. He would leave them for them. So this is a man who has tremendous, tremendous giving heart. But the Gemara is saying that his daughter said about him, You know what they say, you can fool a lot of people, but you can't fool your kids, can't fool your wife. Too hard to hold up that uh, veneer 24 seven, you know? His daughter said, it's true he gave, but he gave for his kavod. I think the answer to that is that the Gemara was saying that at that instance, it wasn't for kavod, but the rest of the tzedakah, it was tainted with kavod. And my question is, so what? Does the tzedakah he gave not count because it was for kavod? It almost seems that his, his daughter is being punished for the kavod. Now the Maharsha says something unbelievable. And I read this Maharsha, it blew my mind. The Maharsha says, yes, yes, the assessment is correct. And I, I, again, I, I, I had to read it twice because I, I just I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. We know that the job of, uh, of Bessal'el was not just to build a Beit HaMikdash, right? He wasn't just a talented Jewish rabbi slash carpenter. We've had another one of those, had a very different ending uh, but that guy. But either way, right? Yeah, was, his job wasn't just to make the stuff. His job was, al Chachamim say, to be able to ascertain that when someone gave money, what their intentions were. If their intentions were, L'Shem Shamaim, the guy gave uh, with an open heart, it was for the sake of heaven. He was to use that money, that gold, that silver, for the Aaron, for the highest, most important Kaleem vessels. The guy gave it with uh, you know, other ulterior motives. He was meant to use that thing for the toilet paper outside in the bathroom. They, you know, they also needed to buy toilet paper. And then, just as in the time of Corona, it was expensive. You know, You don't have Costco in the desert, okay? So they had to buy, they had to get all the stuff, you know, and... So they used the stuff that was given with ulterior motives for inferior things. They used the stuff that was given with uh, only respect and love, those were used for the highest things. So much so that our rabbis tell us about this, that a person who gave the highest amount of gold with the intention of kavod, was not worth the same as a person who gave a little thimble full of shemen zait of oil, that they needed to collect. Now, the question that the Chachamim ask is, how could you compare the two? Fine, you want to give me a 20%, 30%, you know, haircut. Shave off the top because I did it for kavod. But you're going to compare, uh, you know, a hundred pounds of gold to a, a, you know, a, a bottle cap full of oil that was given with the right intentions? And the Maharsha says something unbelievable about this Gemara. He says that when a person does, I got I'm going to quote to you. "Kisha Adam oseh mitzvah l'shem, k'avod, when a person does a mitzvah, for k'avod, garua yoter, it's worse, me'ashelo haya oseh et mitzvah ke'lal. Worse than if he did the mitzvah, didn't do the mitzvah at all. I was like, come again? Wait, no. What about le'olam asok adam be'torah uh, mitzvot, we all learn that it's good for a person to engage in a mitzvah even without the best intentions because from doing it, you come to Lishma. Rabbeinu Yerucham writes, um, and as well, the Ramchal echoes this concept. He says that's true for many other ulterior motives. You, you, know, you give the money to the synagogue so that your name you know, is prominently displayed, so that all the real estate guys in the synagogue know your name, so you do business with them, that's an ulterior motive. But that's included in the le'olam, a person should do mitzvot, even if their intentions are not pure. When it comes to kavod, that's the outlier. And I'm gonna to listen to the quote to the words of the Ramchal, because these words are so powerful, and they give us a beautiful glimpse into ourselves. It would be possible for a person to long exceed, outstrip, yitzro for money, and on other desires. A person could control his beasts. He could control his demons on money, on, uh, on you know, physical desires. All these things he could tame. You have people who are older people, they're very refined and they've conquered the Yisrei Hara. their life is littered with the Yisrei Hara that they've killed as they've conquered them in old age. But honor, that's tough. It's difficult for a person, sometimes nearly impossible, for him to see himself less than his friends. Many people fell on this point and they were lost. You ever see a person, old guy, sitting there in the Beit Knesset, he's there before everybody, his desires have already, his bodily desires have faded with age, but try and take his seat? Or if he starts the hallelujah, hallelujah, right? you try to read it at the same time, he! The power, the force in that, in that challenge, burns very deep. And sometimes a person can't, Get rid of it. You know, in many ways, this desire for kavod animates a huge part of our life. You know, the famous dictum goes, we spend money we don't have buying stuff we don't need to impress people we don't like, right? But that idea is the refrain of our lives. You know, we spend, we give up time with family for our work when we have enough. We have already a car, it works. We have already a house, but we need a better house, and a better car, and a nicer vacation, and what's the price of that? And a person thinks, well, I have the money. Yes. Fool, silly, dib. You have the money because you put in all the extra effort to have the money to be able to do this. But what did that cost you? You know, people tell me all the time, Rabbi, I'd love to learn more. I just don't have the time. I'm not mean as a rabbi, but sometimes I want to tell him, let's try that sentence another way. I'd love to make more money, but I don't have time. I'm so busy at work, rabbi. Well if this was more important, you would be so busy studying and you wouldn't have time for the extra four hours. Now a person who can't make ends meet, he has to provide for his family, he needs to do it. But there comes a point where we're, chasing, we're not chasing necessity, we're chasing luxury. And who decided that that luxury was so valuable that it took the time away from my family? Who decided that that luxury was so valuable that it took the stress, the years of stress and anguish that is going to give me a heart attack before I'm 50? Who decided that? That is the work of a sinister being inside of you called Kavod. You know why? Because I live in a block where I can't be the other one, you know, the person who can't keep up with the Joneses. That's the nature of kavod. It makes us not back down from an argument. It makes us not forgive people that we love. That's the power of kavod. In fact, our rabbis tell us, mitzvah al Reward for a mitzvah you can't find in this world. There's nothing in this world that could pay you back for a mitzvah. Nothing valuable enough. Says the Gemara, except for kavod. There's nothing you could get here that would eat up all your olamaba, except for kavod. And I remember trying to figure this out. Why? The stuff of this world, it's not the currency of the mitzvah of the next world. Rabbutai, which brings us back to our original point. Money, you don't have an olamaba. You know? The desire for women, for intimacy, you don't have an olamaba. Food, the desire to eat a big fat steak, you don't have an olamaba. What do we have in Olam Abba? There's a, there is a currency. In Olam Abba, what is its nature? It is the elevation of a person. Kulo Omer Kavod. It's a place where a person basks in the honor of Hakadosh Baruchu. The connection, the elevation, the fact that you're lifted up to be closer to God. There's one thing that this world has that mimics a little bit, it's not the same, but it talks the same language a little bit as the feeling of olam ava. and that is kavod. Rav Yeruchim used to say over a story that shook him to his core, and we'll end with this. There was a tremendous fire that broke out in his town where the, in the yeshiva of Kelm. It was full of great scholars. And one day there was a fire that broke out in the city and many of the houses were burning to the ground. Everyone's on the street flipping out. They were powerless to stop the spread of the fire. They didn't have fire departments. They were trying to put it out with buckets of water from the river. It was jumping from house to house. And he's standing there next to one of the brightest boys, the brightest young men in the yeshiva. And this super bright guy turns to Rav Yeruchim and he says, You know, I'll be honest. If the yeshiva caught fire, he says, I wouldn't be so sad just being honest obviously no no one was in the yeshiva everyone was out in the streets but little Rev. Yeruchim turns to this man he says what do you mean what? why would you say that he says the truth is I've been here already in the yeshiva for seven months my wife and my children are home and I miss them terribly and I feel like I can't leave I can't leave the yeshiva what are people going to say about me like, you know, this guy left because he, he missed his wife and kids. So I kinda, I'm just telling you the truth here. I'm just being honest. Like if the yeshiva burnt down, they'd have to rebuild it. It would take them a couple months. Everyone would go home. And I also could go home and see my wife and child, and my wife and children. Rav Yeruchim always used to tell this over. Here's a guy who kinda wishes the yeshiva burns to the ground. The books, the Sifarim, the Sifrit Torah, Ash. Only in order that he should be, you miss your wife and kids, your wife and kids, go home! So worried about the fact that people might think a little bit less of him. They might say this about him, or that about him. That was enough. And this is a guy, he's only saying the emet, you know? What a powerful, what a powerful concept. This is how strong kavod is. So what the Maharsha is explaining is that this concept of Tirumah, that giving can elevate you, careful, because it elevates you in the most beautiful way. But if you make a right at the fork, it makes you feel better than the poor people you're helping. You're not better. God gave you a bracha. God gave you mazal. You're better than them. You look down on them. I don't have time for you. That kavod, it's poison, it's toxic. Be aware of why you're giving. Therefore, the little bit that the guy gives of oil is worth more than the hundred pounds of gold the guy gives for kavod. Why? That's going to destroy him. And it's only going to start here. You get the taste for applause, it doesn't go away so fast. It's like an addiction. Eventually, we all know people who have to have that power. They have to have that kavod. They need everyone to bow to their will. It's uh, very heady stuff. And that's why the Maharsha explains that maybe it would be better if you didn't do it at all. Rabbi Hashem should bless us to do mitzvot. But at the same time that we are doing the mitzvot, Hashem should bless us with the humility to allow those mitzvot to power us further and not take us down to a place where we become filled with the arrogance that came from something holy, ruining in effect something which was so beautiful, which was capable of giving us everything in the world. Baruch